How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health-minded people and professionals who are passionate about making a difference in the world of healthcare, who are passionate about seeing a change and a transformation in our broken disease-focused system into a true healthcare system where people get the support and the mentorship and the education they need to make informed decisions that help them to restore their health. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I'm excited today to be talking to you about inflammation and autoimmune conditions and the connection between the single nucleotide polymorphisms, the genetic imbalances, the genetic variants that affect them, and the testing and then some of the approaches that you can take to help people restore balance. So let's get started. We've done a lot of episodes on genetics and single nucleotide polymorphisms. And if you want more of a background and an overview of what all that means, go back and listen to the whole theme that we did on genetics. We have a lot of great, great episodes in there to give you the background. But the single nucleotide polymorphism SNPs that are affecting the immune system and inflammation, there's lots of them, don't get me wrong. There's pages and pages of them. But I'm going to just give you about six of them to help you to understand if these are presents, what are some of the things you need to be testing and what are the, some of the things you need to be doing to help people to protect their immune systems. So there's a whole category of one, HLA, human histocompatibility locust antigens. And I mean, just having this HLA SNP can predispose to inflammation and autoimmune conditions. There's particular ones that are related to specific autoimmune conditions or a global group of autoimmune conditions that then are used for detecting whether somebody has a higher risk of autoimmunity and also whether they really need to be careful about gluten and eating gluten. So HLA, DQA1 and DQA2 are very heavily associated with gluten intolerance and the gluten intolerance leading people to have more tendency towards autoimmunity, especially things like thyroid autoimmunity, lupus, and other common autoimmune processes that are just rampant in our society. There's also associated with those are HLA-DQ2, DQ2.2, and HLA-DQ8. So if you see somebody who has these SNPs, right away, you want to talk to them about their inflammation and their immune system. And likely you've done a history by now, and you already know that they have some autoimmune conditions. If they don't have a diagnosis of an autoimmune condition, that's where you want to really let your history lead you to asking the right questions about inflammation in the joints kidney issues, skin issues, eczema, and those kinds of breakouts. Because people don't always think about eczema as being an autoimmune condition. And of course, we know that it is. So you're asking them about those kinds of things. And they go, oh yeah, my skin breaks out whenever blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've had eczema as a child. So you want to just 
get a good history to find out, do they have this tendency towards autoimmunity? There's so many people that have Hashimoto's, autoimmune thyroiditis in our society, that the chances are good that you're going to see at least two or three of them every week in your practice. So we want to look at those. The other one that's very associated with autoimmunity, CTLA4. When people have that SNP, they have the inability to turn off the T cells. Their regulatory cells are not working properly. This one, again, very much affected by gluten. So one of the first things I do whenever I have somebody who has an autoimmune condition is I want to work the autoimmune framework that I've put together. And it starts with healing their gut because almost nobody with an autoimmunity has a clean gut. They all tend to have leaky gut and that's been shown in study after study after study. So I'm looking at what do I need to do to help support this person's gut? And one of the first things you need to do to support somebody with a leaky gut is get them off the gluten. So I have literally told patients, I've never worked with a person with an autoimmune condition that could get away with eating gluten because they all, of course, want to get away with eating gluten. And the last one on my list is like so many others, TNF, TNF alpha, TNF beta. These are inflammatory cytokines in the body. There's also a whole bunch called IL-3, IL-6, IL-17, and they're related to interleukins. And they're genetics that code for those interleukins, which are inflammatory mediators. So if you've got somebody who has a bunch of inflammatory SNPs, this is not limited to just these. As you read genetics and learn to do that better, you're going to learn how to find them. But then what do you do? Right? How do you know if this person's actually inflamed? Well, one, you take a good history, and they're going to tell you. Right? They're going to tell you about their gastritis. They're going to tell you about their Hashimoto's. They're going to tell you about a lot of different itises. And now you know there's some inflammation. But then you want to look at inflammatory markers. And we have C-reactive protein, highly sensitive C-reactive protein. Um, and these, this is a really common inflammatory marker. But it's not unique to autoimmune. And not everybody with an autoimmune has an elevated CRP. And that's been something that's been baffling me and other practitioners like me for the last few decades. It's like, why? This person has this raging autoimmune and they don't have C-reactive protein elevation. And then other people who don't have autoimmune are going to have C-reactive protein. But C-reactive protein is a general marker for inflammation. And so if someone has a C-reactive protein elevated, it could be autoimmune. It could be an infection somewhere in the body. It could be as simple as they're just getting over a cold. I had a patient once who normally had, whenever we did their labs, it was like 0.3 for C-reactive protein, HS. We did this one time, and it was 20. And I'm like, holy crap, what's going on here? So I started asking questions. Turned out he'd just gotten over a cold, a flu, and he still had some of the inflammation, the coughing related to that. So I said, okay, come back in six weeks. We're going to test this again. Meanwhile, I'll, I'll share some of the anti-inflammatory nutrition that I worked with him on. And um, he did come back in six weeks and it was back down to 0.3, right? So if somebody does all of a sudden have a high CRP, you want to find out why, right? You want to find out why and then retest. There's another one. It's an older one, right? It's one of the ones that have been used for a long, long time. Erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Some docs will just call it SED rate. Some call it ESR for erythrocyte sedimentation rate, right? Another general marker. And again, I've seen people with 
uh, autoimmune conditions with super high. I've seen people with autoimmune conditions and it's not. That's why I like to test a bunch of different inflammatory markers. The other one I like to test for is homocysteine. And homocysteine will give us some information about methylation because it's part of the methylation pathway. If you think about where the methylation pathways go, uh, it's right at the bottom of the folate cycle. And then we go into another cycle where the B12 and methionine and all that are involved. At the very bottom of that is homocysteine. And if a person has a problem with methylation, they can't convert the homocysteine either downward into glutathione or up and around and into SAMe. So we want to look carefully at that. But homocysteine is a good marker for inflammation. Now, what other tests can we do to find out if somebody has inflammation or they're manifesting this? Well, we can certainly do a gluten sensitivity test. We can do a wheat zoomer from Vibrant America. Cyrex Labs has an array, I think it's four, that tests all different antibodies to gluten. We can do that. Entero Labs has one that will test the stool for IgAs to gluten. So you can do that and test for those gluten antibodies, or you can do an elimination diet and take them off and see how they feel and then add back in any number of ways. The other test that I really like for inflammation is the fatty acid test. Now, Metametrics, which is now merged with Genova, used to have a test they called the blood spot fatty acid test. And you just finger prick, send it in, and they gave you just the essential amino acids, the alpha-linoleic and linolenic acid. And it would give you how those levels are and then the downstream metabolites of those. And they don't call it the blood spot fatty acid. They just call it the fatty acid. They still have one where you can do the blood spot, but it's a more extensive test. Not that much more expensive, maybe $20 more expensive. Um, and it gives you pathways like saturated fats and trans fats and all that. So those are good tests to see because fats are so closely associated with inflammation. And when the fats are out of balance, we get a lot more leukotrienes and cyclooxygenases and other inflammatory mediators. So that's one thing. So one of the things I like to do, first things first, when I have anybody with inflammation or autoimmune, I want to balance their fats. I want to get them on a good ratio of omega-3 to 6. And the omega-6s are usually much higher in the diet than omega-3. Many people in the U.S., especially people with MS and other autoimmune diseases, have ratios from omega-6 to 3 of like 20 to 1, right? 20 to 1, 12 to 1. Should be no more than 4 to 1, okay? So I talk to people about avoiding the substances that lead to that imbalance. So trans fatty acids and margarine and hydrogenated fats will all contribute. Somebody who's drinking a lot of almond milk because they're allergic to dairy, but now they're drinking a ton of almond milk, they throw their omega-6 to 3 balance out. Too much olive oil and everybody's drowning their stuff in olive oil, but too much can throw off the omega-6 to 3 balance. Sugar, of course, our favorite, right? Sugar, caffeine, alcohol, all the, the bad guys, food additives, pesticides, tobacco, all of those things disrupt the fatty acid mechanisms and can lead to excess inflammation and, of course, autoimmunity. And one thing that is not taken into account a lot is protein deficiency. And I know that there is not a lot of protein deficiency in our country where everybody's obsessed with protein and they're taking in probably more protein than they really need. But there are people who have stomach acid problems. They're not absorbing their protein 
They don't have good enzymes produced by their pancreas. And so they're just not digesting their protein. So whenever you're thinking about protein deficiency with people, you have to look at their diet history and see what their protein intake is. But also if their protein intake seems adequate, you want to look at their stomach acid, how well they're producing, what's their gut doing. And then of course, we want to replenish a lot of nutrients that help us in balancing omega-6 to 3. And we want to be able to produce from the short chain fats that are in things like chia seeds and hemp seeds and walnuts and flax seeds have really good sources of short chain omega-3s, but they don't always get converted downstream into the longer chains. And to do that, we need a bunch of nutrients. And if we're low in these nutrients, then we're going to have an omega-3 to 6 imbalance. So biotin, vitamin E, vitamin C, the B vitamins, B12, B2, B6, these are all part of this process. And guess what? Most of the people are, they're imbalanced here because they're eating the standard American diet and the food's deficient in these things, things like zinc and magnesium and even protein. One of the things that I like to give people is whenever they're having foods that are high in omega-3s, like the short chains, like flax seeds and chia seeds and all, to take some lauric acid or mysteric acid. Now, what's that? How do they get that? Coconut, eating coconut. So I always have people put coconut with those short chain omega-3s to help with the conversion process. Super important. There's also a lot of anti-inflammatory herbs and foods, and you can go online and look these up. And we probably have a list of these in our functional food guide if you go to reinventhealthcare.com forward slash functional food. But there's a lot of anti-inflammatory herbs and foods. The most common and popular ones these days are ginger and turmeric, but licorice although you have to be careful if somebody has high blood pressure. Boswellia, I've found that to be super helpful for people with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Uh, purslane, which is a wild edible that you can get in a lot of farmer's markets, and it's got preformed source of EPA, which can be anti-inflammatory. And then there's other things that we all keep in our cupboards at home, right? Rosemary and basil and cilantro, cloves, things like that, garlic, parsley, and they could be fresh or they could be dried. Uh, cardamom. Cardamom is like really has that nice chai type of flavor. I love cardamom and those are really great. And chives and cinnamon. Cinnamon and cardamom go really well together, especially with ginger. You make a nice, teach them to make a nice chai tea to help with their inflammation in their body. There's also some of the things that might be controversial for people who have nightshade imbalances, but capsaicin and peppers, right? Those are really strongly anti-inflammatory if people can tolerate them. And onions have quercetin, a bioflavonoid that's super anti-inflammatory. And then of course, there's your short chain omegas, right? And algae, algae is another good anti-inflammatory food. So this is going to be very helpful as you teach people how to use these foods and go for it. So my favorite is ginger. I put it in my smoothies every day. I use it in dressing, salad dressing, same with turmeric. I get it fresh. Another one that's very anti-inflammatory, especially for the uh, thyroid, and has been found to be helpful in people who have Hashimoto's, and that's black seed, black cumin seed, which you can get as seeds, you can get it as powder, or you can get it as oil. And the last one I'll mention, there's tons more, but the last one I'll mention today is also one of my favorites is reishi, reishi mushroom. It's an adaptogen, it's anti-inflammatory, it's immunomodulating, 
and it's super awesome. You can get it as an extract powder. You don't really get them to eat, although you can get the big dried pieces and then soak them and make them into soups by soaking them for several days. So that's the end of what I'm going to talk about today. I want you to be really cognizant that when people have issues with inflammation, when they have autoimmune conditions, which I would say most people do these days, you can help them. You can support them. You can do some good analysis by asking the right questions, by looking at their genetics to see if they have specific SNPs, because I find when, when you tell them they have those SNPs, they're more likely to listen to your recommendations. And then looking at their labs and then you know designing diets and recipes and stuff that include all these amazing anti-inflammatory herbs, because you and I, we have the power to help these people truly get well. Their doctors aren't telling them this. The doctors are giving them steroids or telling them that they're going to be sick for the rest of their lives to suck it up and face it. And we know that's not true. I know probably you guys have had as much success and have seen so many people who have reversed their autoimmune disease, whether it be MS, whether it be Crohn's, whether it be Sjogren's or Hashimoto's. So you have the power to help people. And I want you to really educate them and use the power of lab testing and genetic testing to motivate and inspire them to make changes. So do your best out there. Let's change healthcare. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.